welcome to this week's episode of the Making It in Asheville podcast. Each week we sit down with a Asheville-based artist, entrepreneur, creator, maker, a community leader, and we ask them what they are making and how they are making it in Asheville. Uh, about two years ago, my wife and I had an idea to start a podcast on making it in Asheville because we weren't sure how we were going to make it in Asheville, but we knew that there were a lot of creators, a lot of makers, a lot of small business owners in Asheville. We thought this might be a good way to get to know some people. Uh, <laughs> we're in episode 80-something at this point, and we are uh, excited about the future of the podcast, of the, the project making it in Asheville, and we're really excited about this conversation with Coco Villa, a multidisciplinary artist that has had performances and, and displayed her work across the country and, and internationally. Uh, Coco, thank you for joining us today. And I, 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 I call you affectionately a slash person because it seems like you do so many things. And so how do you describe your work, your craft, your art today? Awesome. Uh, yeah, I love that you say slash person i think that's a great descriptor um oftentimes i think of my work existing for the camera and then i do a lot of the work around that so i consider myself to be a self-portraiture photographer hmm. and a clothing designer and a dancer and a creative director um and then there's like facets of that that kind of are part of different projects sometimes but not all of them i love that and uh the slash is, you know, dancer slash photographer slash uh, uh, creator, creative director. When when I, I think, first really saw you, I mean, we had, it was right when we moved to Asheville. Um, I, I want to say, did you have products in wear or were you just connected to wear in some way? Or am I just drawing a connection? Because I remember no. uh, almost seeing you and wear at like the same moment. And that was the first weekend we were in town. I think we've been following you from the Making It a Nashville Instagram account since uh, since May of 2019. Wow. Yeah, I definitely had some products in wear. And um, right before the pandemic, I kind of transitioned from having um, just like the sustainable fashion line and being in production mode more than anything. Mm -hmm. And then around the pandemic, I shifted into kind of making um, everything like going back to the art form as opposed to producing clothing. Um, so that has slowed down and it was definitely really incredible to have the support of where and other shops around the States. Um, but I think it was definitely a really great transition for me to kind of go back to kind of where my background is more from, which is performance and movement for the camera. I love it. And so in, in terms of the, like, the arc on how these conversations typically flow we spend a little bit of time on like now we go back in the past and then we go talk about the future and so now uh you, you mentioned this transition that maybe started at the beginning of the pandemic what does now look like primarily for you so uh it's self-portrait photography it's um a beautiful uh it seems hand dyed and handmade uh garments but what is today's work focus on yeah um so something that i haven't let go of since before the pandemic was releasing a show every fall winter hmm. um and i used to do it every fall winter and summer spring but that kind of felt like too much so now i just do something once a year that's a lot um yeah <laughs> that's a whole lot um, yeah and it's so i think it's very time consuming but also so fulfilling because 
a lot of my work is very isolating, but then towards the end of these projects, um, I bring a lot of people together to kind of realize that vision. Mm. So usually like, oh, from the moment I finish a project, I kind of start the next one for the following year. And that looks like um, kind of designing new garments and deciding what color palette I want to work in. And then um, harvesting the plants to dye those garments and then um, deciding like, oh, what kind of movement do I feel like doing now? And are the garments going to be suited for that? And then kind of fleshing out ideas with friends, which is another, like, I think one of my favorite processes is going to a friend. Um, Sal is someone that lives here. And I'm like, just meet me at the park. I have like a new idea and I want you to tell me if it's wonderful or terrible and like how we can work through that. Um, and then going from there, kind of getting people like videographers or other dancers to make this like vision come alive. I want to just pause on one portion of what you just said, okay. uh, which I don't know why it surpri surprised me because I know that in, in preparing for the conversation, I, you know, you, you read about the garments that you make and it says natural dye. You said mm -hmm. harvesting the plants to, to dye the color palette. Give me please yeah. a little bit more on that. That sounds it's, it's not something I've ever necessarily heard before. Of course, yeah. Um, so there's usually like certain types of plants that you can gather throughout different parts of the year. And um, the fall time is an amazing time, um, especially I love working with yellow or adding yellow hues to a lot of the dyes as, that I create as a base. And a primary ingredient that I use is goldenrod and that like thrives in the fall here. Um, and then... I collect my own food scraps to dye with as well. So it's kind of just like accumulating all of that. And then once I have enough to like make a dye with it. And I also get a lot of donations from people, which is really sweet. Um, but then sometimes I'm like, I don't even have enough space to like store my own food that they actually need to eat, you know? <laughs> um, and that's kind of a sign to just like, all right, I guess I need to make a new dye batch right now. That's so interesting. What, what, uh, I mean, when I think of dye, I don't know what I would even think to dye with. So you said goldenrod. What mm -hmm. what foods lend themselves to to dyeing? So um, is this behind me? Can you yeah. see that? So like fabric on the mannequin. Mm -hmm. It's like a pinkish. Um, yeah, slightly pink, slightly purple. Slightly purple. But the base of it um, was avocado pits and skins and which is amazing it's magical like i feel like a lot of people have no idea that that's gonna happen but it's a blush pink that comes out and then um, cochineal which is a bug that i didn't get myself i bought it um and i kind of just crush it up and it looks kind of um they look like little beads that are like slightly white but then once you crush them they look kind of fuchsia and then you toss them in water and they look like you kind of put beet juice in it or something um and that's what made it more of like a purple tint that's incredible. And yeah. is that all trial and error? I mean, I imagine there are books on this, but like, how did oh, you? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So how did, um, okay. How did you? How did you get into uh, hand dyeing? How did you get into that level of craft? I, I don't know if this is something that you, you know, take a course on in art school. I mean, I imagine mm -hmm. design is more prominent than dyeing of of garments, but I, I don't necessarily know what art school looks like. Yeah, so, um, well, I went to art school for film and photography. There you go. So that wasn't a not part enough. of my education <laughs> Definitely not there. the curriculum, nope. Yeah, um, but it did 
there was other like foundation classes that I had to take, like painting and drawing and whatever. And um, I kind of started to just very like in a very whimsical way experiment with plants and like teas and coffee because I like the hues mm. of them. And I had a really hard time with color theory, especially making like in school, making um, these color palettes from synthetic paints. And then I was like, well, like if I use tea or like any fruits or whatever that I like, I tend to like those colors more. So it was my way of like trying to bring that in. Mm. Um, but I had no idea what I was doing at the time. I was just like, ah, this is kind of pink. Let's try that. Um, and then after school, I ended up going to Colombia for a couple of years and studying under a few like um, natural dyers. Um, and I mean, studying there was incredible because I learned the foundation of it. And it's basically a deep dive into what it takes to treat a fabric so the colors last mm-hmm. and understanding the plants from the region and how they react to heat and to different elements. Um, but then when they came back to the States, I had to kind of like, I understood the foundation of it, but I had to learn from scratch too, because it's different, like a bunch of different plants. And, and it seems as with all craft, uh, it's one thing to have watched a YouTube video. It's another thing to have even taken a class or, or, or mm-hmm. studied with someone. And it's a wholly other thing to uh, spend a lot of time not doing it right. <laughs> yeah, then, completely. You know, so uh, that's fantastic. I, I, you, you mentioned the word, I, I want to say whimsical or whimsy. Um, mm-hmm. When I read about your projects, it seems like, if not the word whimsical, there's something about like joy and happiness that tries to show up am i am i drawing at straws or is is there something like that that you try to connect to all your projects absolutely i mean i definitely um i feel like my biggest mission and anything that i do is um just like the pursuit of pleasure mm. and ultimately i want us all to have a good time whether it's just me and the studio alone sewing just being kind of like a weirdo and doing whatever i do or bringing people together into a project and having them be like goofy and dance and obviously like still being able to get work done in a timely manner, Um, but trying to like have this balance of it all, you know, I think that's the, that is the goal is, is to find. And I think balance is, is always funny because uh, I don't think, I don't think we're meant to walk on the knife's edge. I think there was, you know, ebb and flow. It's like, it is it is too fun for a moment, and then we gotta hop back into you know focus yeah. mode, and then it's uh, oh my god, why am I so focused? It's Friday, it's Friday afternoon. Let's you know let's have let's put the music up, let's go. Um, and so I mean that's a that's a me thing. And so uh, the travel down to Colombia to learn some of this trade to learn the skill, it is that's a part of like this longer process of like global travel and learning. It seems like you've lived everywhere. Uh, help, help not me. Everywhere, not okay, yet. Not, not yet. <laughs> uh, but maybe we spend a little bit of time talking about all the places you've been for both your art for, uh, maybe just the process of, of learning who you as an artist creator are, uh, but also mm-hmm. we can we can talk about you know growing up in New York and wherever else you've lived. Yeah. Um, so well, the reason that I went to Colombia was um, because that's where my family's from, and it was the first time that I'd gone there like as an adult alone, like not with. I did see family, but my intention wasn't to stay with family. Mm. Um, 
and then I think just the yeah my I think I make it a priority I love to travel and I think it's fun to kind of like take a trip just for fun mm. but for some reason I don't find that as enjoyable as like I'm gonna go to a different place um for a project you know mm. uh, and it's also a way to just um intersect with like the community there and it's not like I'm staying in a vacation bubble per se because I'm just working with other people around there to mm. oftentimes learn something new. Um, and right before the pandemic, or like, I guess during the pandemic, right before everything shut down, I was in Berlin studying dance. And that's wow. kind of what brought me there. And I love that city. It's amazing. I want to go back when it's safe. <laughs> Such, I mean, incredible, incredible city. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think the way that I have, and I haven't been in what feels like maybe 10 years, um, probably right around there. And uh, the way that I described it is like it feels like a city that is is truly honoring this sense of creativity and art like they weren't able to express creativity and art for like a long time. Like it's exploding out after Mm -hmm. being repressed in some way. And I I've I've never seen like you could see it in like sections of cities in the U.S., I think, like in like Mm -hmm. pockets but I've never seen it across an entire, you know, global city like I've seen it in Berlin. And I wasn't there on an art project. I was there over the weekend and I just, I fell in love and I'm dying to go back. Yeah, that's amazing. I definitely agree with that perspective of it. Um, and so many different types of art forms too. Oh my goodness, is, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Overwhelming and beautiful. What, um, so how, how long were you in Berlin for dance? Um, I was supposed to be there for about four months, mm. but I ended up only staying for about two months, I think. Yeah. Um, everything shut down like while I was there, <laughs> and it was. I like gave up my apartment in Asheville. I was planning on moving back to New York after coming, or after going to Berlin, and I was like, I could just stay here. Like, what if I just <laughs> stay? <laughs> but that was just like a really wild. So I was like, no. I <laughs> Um, but yeah, everything worked out pretty well. So heard, I'm happy heard. to be back. With, with tr- travel like that, with travel not for a vacation but for a project, do you try to find like art schools and go for like a, on a on a on a student visa? Do you just find a like a community that seems like they're doing the things with maybe a co-opt art space? Uh, how do you approach travel for projects? In, in a in a pre-COVID, post-COVID, you know, right. obviously not in the last year. Yeah, so pre-COVID, um, I, it depends. So part of me, I would sometimes like apply to um, artist grants mm. so to fund the traveling and maybe to fund like the materials and sourcing of um, whatever I would need to create this project. But a lot of it is really applying to um, artist residencies. Mm. And oftentimes they like, give you a place to stay and feed you sometimes. And then um, sometimes there's a stipend as well. And I love, I think that's just my favorite form of traveling. It's like, okay, I'm here and I'm here to create this like thing that I proposed. I have no idea what it's going to come out like. And it usually comes out like way better beyond what I could ever imagine or a lot worse. <laughs> it's never like, oh, that's exactly what I thought, you know? Um, uh, and yeah, I think, Part of the motivation of um, going to a bunch of different artist residencies, too, is um, just wanting, I think I have this, like, long-term, very, very long-term goal slash dream of um, hosting 
are the artists and mm-hmm. having my own artist residency. Um, but I don't know what that looks like yet. I've been to some that are definitely more formal and like I have to kind of create a type of curriculum and offer classes or offer some kind of panel discussion or lecture. Mm. Um, and then others where they're like, here's a space, here's some supplies, do what you need to do. See you later, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think I'd like to find something in between because there's something really special about connecting with a community in a new space. Yeah. I think it's, that's beautiful. I'm, I'm drawn to, uh, I've had a small experience in studying abroad uh, studied in Florence, Italy, and and I I took like business classes and like it was so silly, but I it could end language, but uh, I was always you know um, sort of like voyeuristically like watching the art students at the school that I went to, who seemed to have such a, like a deep relationship with both each other and the city in a way that like I didn't get um, taking international business theory course and and just a, you know italian 101 um and so i i hear you um the well I, I don't know what it's like to be in artist in residency or even necessarily around it but um that that energy of a international uh i, I want to call it education and i imagine the places that you go there are maybe other people from other parts of the world there's like it's so uh that's a special type of like gumbo that makes for really tasty relationships have you do you now have friends in germany that you reach out to all the time or from Absolutely. germany yeah yeah definitely and um even though like i was in berlin most people there's a lot of people from other different places so um there's obviously like the environment that creates a certain type of experience, but then um, there's the fact that like, there's a lot of people from all around the world that are part of that experience as well. So sometimes it's almost hard to uh, remember. I'm like, wait, was I in Berlin? Was I in New York? Was I in Miami? Like what was happening? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I love it. Where else have you um, had, you know, project travel uh, in the past? Um. I was in Peru for a few months doing a project in, um, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting the town, Huanchaco, and it's a beach town really close to Trujillo, and um, I was just helping kind of create this uh, skate park and offering photography classes to, like, the kids in the neighborhood, Um, and that was really fun. It's a beautiful landscape, and everybody there surfs and skates so well and it was really cool to kind of um revamp the skate park that they had there and um just host kind of this like movement space like kind of just a creative space in general Mm -hmm. so other artists were coming through offering whatever the skill they had and i was there offering movement and then photography um and kind of just working on my own project as well on the side um but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's uh, sounds dreamy. Um, all, very. Uh, it sounds very dreamy. Pic- picture a skate park uh, on a on a coastal town where art is valued. Sounds beautiful. Um, wh- any other countries or cities that you want to call out in your artist journey? Um, I've definitely done quite a few remotely in the states, which mm. are really nice, and those feel more like retreats. 
which I love. I'm all about a retreat too. Um, but it's more isolating, you know, unless you choose to go with somebody um, or just like go to work on a project with someone else. Um, but yeah, I think I've definitely slowed down just because of the pandemic. So I'm kind of like making notes of like other places that I like to go to, but we'll see Heard. when, if that happens. So, uh, so then I'd love to circle back and say uh, there seems like there's Garment creation, photography, movement is what I'm going to call the big three so far based on what I'm hearing from you. Uh, mm-hmm. In those three mediums, uh, is one of them your first language in creation uh, or are they all the <laughs> same? Like, how, do you, how do you think about those mediums? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, so, yeah, it's so hard for me to say if one of them is my first language, essentially, because I feel like those three mediums are something that I kind of did for very, like, as, since I was a child, mm-hmm. but in very different ways. And I think um, just over time, I've, like, circled back to, like, study them, essentially. Um, I started to sew um, because my grandmother designed wedding dresses um as I was growing up and then my mom worked in upholstery during that time so I felt like that was kind of just in the blood in a way Mm -hmm. like working with textiles and sewing um and I learned to do that at a really young age there's even a photograph like me playing with a sewing machine which is really dangerous and I was like two years old or something um but (laughs) we'd love to see it (laughs) yeah I'll share that soon (laughs) um but there's also um, I guess photography, I started to get into that in middle school mm. um, and luckily, which is really rare, but even at the time, like I, there was a dark room at the school that I was going to. Wow. Um, and that was amazing. And that's how I kind of got into it. And then soon after that, started doing a lot of self-portraiture work, but that was out of necessity. Mm. Um, not like, oh, I just want to be in front of the camera. It was very like, I don't have any other subject. I'm just going to sit in front of the camera. Um and then it kind of grew into this like self-exploration project that will forever be something I think in my work. Um, and then with movement, I grew up dancing like salsa and merengue and cumbia, and like I feel it so deeply in my body, and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I can move to anything, and that is maybe that maybe I would say that that's my first language. But like since I grew up with that, I like came back to it maybe in my late teens. Um, and like started to study under different people and like kind of learn different techniques and movements. I, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I love that. I, all, all of those being such, I'd say early parts uh, of you that the middle school dark room to have more than just, you know, a uh, point and shoot and like a digital display of a thing and going beyond that to, to create a finished um, image is like a very special thing. It, it sounds like a, you know, Bill Gates having that first uh, computer processor in his middle school by chance and, and working right. on it. And I, it, 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 that's wild. And then I'm smiling hard because uh, I want, I, I want to like interject with a personal story of going to a underground uh, meaning under a restaurant in Brooklyn near the, you know, the Nets stadium Barclays center went to this underground salsa dance 
party with a friend in New York once, and I've never, I've never danced salsa. Uh, I've never taken a class, but I've also never been in a place where I wanted to learn to dance more than that. Uh, it was the most be- beautiful, exciting, uh, nerve wracking, also welcoming place that I'd ever been. Like, you know, people were pulling me onto the dance floor and letting me step on their toes and stuff. And it was, and and then there were like certain people that you could see when you step back in wallflower that like the second he stopped dancing, someone came in and like grabbed him to, to dance with him. Cause he was really good, you know? And then the second yeah. she stopped dancing, it was the same thing. And I was like, Oh my God, this is, this is, uh, this is humans mating dances. Like this is what it is to be a bird. And, uh, yeah. and like, a, and like a very visceral visual experience that I'd never seen or uh lived in before and couldn't understand until i was in that basement at the the salsa dance party yeah it's such a lovely environment and i think you did such a beautiful job of describing it too i think sometimes i get up like get very caught up in the sensation of it um because it's truly like such a unique experience i think um but i think yeah i maybe i feel like that's definitely one of my first languages because I don't often feel the need to um, have a verbal exchange with people, but mm. if they ask me to dance, I'm down for it a hundred percent. Like you don't even have to ask me just like start dancing and I'll do it with you, you know? I love it. Yeah. Uh, I went with a, a buddy in New York and he, he like outside, he like, you know, led me or, or showed me how to lead. And it was terrible. I was terrible, but it was one of the most memorable nights in all of my, my New York memories. It's so Cool. And I love that. Um, you know, I couldn't even order off a menu in terms of first language stuff. Like I'm, I'm not conversational in salsa. I don't want to mislead anybody. It was a one-time thing, but I, it made me, um, Sarah and I took a, a, a dance class to, to like get ready for our, our wedding. And I, you know, the, and I've taken like three dance classes in New York and it's a very special thing. I don't know how how what i'll say is like there are moments I, I think that i'm certainly i chase these like moments where i leave my brain and like enter my body and so i've you know grown this appreciation for riding motorcycles recently i used to play sports all the time and like there are these like moments in games moments in in uh in life where like all of a sudden you're out of your head and you're just doing the thing and I don't have the power or control to access that on demand when dancing. But every once in a while in like in these dance classes I've taken, uh, I would leave my body and stop being like, stop thinking that anyone else in the room was looking at me. And it was, it was like, it was like a meditation. It was this purely like transcendent moment thing. And it's, I think that dance when you, uh, like go enough is like a very almost spiritual thing. And I, do you feel that when you dance? I'm, I'm, I'm making it about me, but that's how I feel at moments. Yeah, no, I definitely think of it as that. Like it's definitely a meditation. It's definitely something that I feel like helps me connect um, spiritually. Um, and then it's also kind of a way to, I think to process. I think there's, after a certain amount 
of time, it can kind of lead to something. There's something in my brain that kind of clicks and like I'll start to problem solve as I dance sometimes. But it's obviously improvising. And that happens when I'm not being watched. Mm. But then if I'm performing or something, let's say it's improvising and performing, there's definitely a kind of trance um, that I can slip into and like kind of let go of the idea of being watched and mm. and it's almost like blacking out like yeah. I stopped dancing I'm like I don't know where I went but it, it happened and I'm sweating now <laughs> yeah yeah no I uh that's that's really special so in in the three I guess languages that you speak artistically um it, it does seem that when when your work is uh, I'd say realized you're pulling those three things together absolutely i would say that i also pay attention to color a lot i Mm. think that's maybe one of um a primary language in a way as well because it influences everything whether it's like movement or photography or the garments and um I think even if I'm feeling like stuck in some kind of idea, I'll just decide like, well, what color do I feel or what does this color taste like or sound like? And um, that can just like help me kind of get out of my head and just be like, all right, this is what we're moving into, you know, or noticing myself being attracted to a certain color palette and then trying to investigate like, oh, why are these three colors right now? You know, those are thoughts that my brain doesn't think. So, uh, does or does not? Does not. No, I've never, I've never thought, what does this color taste like? But what I, well, what I'll say is that when I, you know, watch your Instagram evolve or, or visit your website, there's like clearly color. And I would, I would say natural seems like the word that I would, uh, assign to it. Uh, but it's, it's not, it, it's, it's thoughtful. It's thought out. And so how did, when thinking about color, like, I don't imagine words are the right medium to describe color, but maybe you, maybe you can do it. How do you attempt to think about color? How does it, how does it practically show up for you? Um, I don't think about color. Honestly, I, I think I'm just obsessed. So whenever I, um, it's really easy for me to like, it's kind of like connecting dots with whatever world I'm in and what's in front of me. Mm. I think that I tend to, just pick up on certain tonalities even and decide like, oh, I like the way that these like exist together in this space and for what reasons, or if it's like, how is the lighting affecting this color or why do I enjoy this color right now? And kind of just asking a million questions about it. And I think um, let's say on social media or my website, I don't know. I think at this point it feels very intuitive um, that oh, like when I'm working with color, but it doesn't, um, I don't, yeah, I think that there's something about that that doesn't necessarily translate. Like, I'm not making these clear decisions. At one point on Instagram, I was like only posting green things, only mm. posting yellow things, which I love and it's really fun, but I don't do that anymore <laughs> because it just seems kind of hard to keep up with it. <laughs> I believe um, that. Um, yeah. sometimes constraint is a, is a good, uh, creative, like enabler. Um, but constraint for, without cause, I don't know if it necessarily adds value. I'm wondering, um, when thinking about photography, um, you, you mentioned how self portraiture, uh, is 
came out of necessity and now it's just perhaps going to be a lifelong pursuit of of that craft for whatever reason as i was thinking about this conversation i thought it might be interesting to ask uh, in in a in a time where the selfie is uh perhaps more prevalent than any other form of photography that's ever existed uh you you are doing something that's meaningfully different um which is self portraiture is is i mean there have to be a lot of differences one is that i think selfies are typically arms reach or you know on a stick <laughs> uh, you know arm plus stick and yours mm-hmm. seems to be like a mounted camera but um i'll leave it to you how do you think about uh self portraiture how do you think about photography at, at large i'd love to hear you talk about it yeah i mean i think that's a really interesting question and pro- and something that i think was uh definitely asked of any photo and film majors even like in 2012 they're just like so why are you a photographer like everyone has a smartphone they're taking pictures all the time like, of everything and their food and themselves um and i think we're constantly like in this debate of like no this is why i'm a photographer mm. but i think it ultimately comes down to the um the conceptual aspect of it you know like someone can elevate their own selfies and by selfies meaning like the arm's length taking a phone photo like they can create a concept out of that and display years worth of selfies you know and it becomes something different than just a selfie um if they're exploring something that is whether it's on the surface like lighting and coloring or um, if they are documenting themselves over a span of time to elaborate on um, their own like significant shifts, like internally and externally, who knows? But um, I think that there's probably a really small amount that like separates like selfie from self-portrait. And I think it's thought that goes into it and intention. I, I love that. And, and I thought an intention feels like the right answer to me so what thoughts and intentions have you brought to your self-portraiture um let's see so i think oftentimes the it kind of depends on how i approach it but um with the project that i was saying that i release every year that's essentially like a self portraiture project in this like larger scale and coming from different mediums but I allow myself several months to just release whatever it is that I want to release and what I mean by release is like sketches photographs dances um, and then look at it and observe and analyze it and it almost feels like (laughs) a like year's worth of like therapy sessions with Mm -hmm. myself and um, I think oftentimes if we give ourselves space to create. There's definitely something there and a pattern to it. And it's just really seeing a pattern. And right now um, I'm definitely working on kind of a continuation of this last project that I released, which was how to turn poison into a meal. Mm. Um, And that was me kind of recreating these practices and rituals that um, were very much present in my family and mostly like the women in my family that like they never acknowledged them as practices or rituals. Um, But um, the act of kind of morphing something 
negative into something that could be nourishing, essentially. Um, so I don't even know if I answered your question. I, I, <laughs> I, I think you got, I think you got close. The, the, yeah. it, 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 to me, it seems, or what I heard was uh, you allow time and intention to kind of reveal itself um, mm-hmm. by allowing whatever's in you to, to flow out. And that could be in a journal and that could be in photography. It could be in movement. It mm-hmm. could be in color choices. Absolutely. It sounds right. <laughs> Good. <laughs> uh, that, that is so decidedly different than I, how my mind and body, I think work, um, that I, I'm like, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. And I think at my, in my moments of, of when I'm at my best, there is some sort of like a journaling practice or a pressure release valve of some kind that's not necessarily being um, measured for quality so much as quantity. Like, did I do the thing that is meant to, you know, free my mind and, and lower my stress? Um, when you think about spending time in your crafts, uh, do you set any kind of production goals, whether that's time spent working or, um, delivery of X, Y, and Z? How how do you try to approach creation? I I know that the one thing I've heard so far is that you want to show fall, winter, um, are there mm-hmm. other mile markers in your months, weeks, years? Yeah. Um, so I kind of have um, some things are a daily practice, like movement is a daily practice. And that's kind of just to keep my body awake and alive and warm. Um, and then I would, I definitely sew every week and I'd take at least a photograph every week. Um, I think about once a month, I have like this concept of a shoot I want to do. And sometimes it's really small. Sometimes it's larger. And I have people come in for that. It's not always my own project. It's a commission from somebody else. But I kind of see that as a practice of just like having those skills and making sure that I don't lose them slowly. Or there's times where I'll go like three months without sewing anything because I'm focusing on dyeing fabrics, for instance. Mm. And once I start sewing again, like my lines are kind of uneven and ugly. And then after like a couple of days, I'm like, oh, this is fine. Like we're back at it, you know? <laughs> it's like riding a bike. Um, uh, so yeah, exactly. that, that is a great uh, transition because one of the things that's important to me and whether or not it should be important, we can have a deeper conversation on. But like I, I love trying to understand artists' economics, like the economics of art and how you are and other artists are, are making money. And so how, you know, making it in Asheville is, has something to do almost always with, you know, making enough money to afford rent or a home mm-hmm. or whatever. So um, you said commission pieces from you or commission art, commission projects. Um, what does it look like in terms of um, your, your art? Are you creating grant? funded projects are you commissioning work are you selling your garments how does the the business of casa de coco work yeah um it's all all of the above um definitely like applying for grants is a big part of it and then 
um, a lot of times when I accept work from other people, it's kind of taking one of those skills that I have and like applying it to their um, larger vision. So oftentimes it is like dyeing fabrics, um, maybe like for a clothing line already or like a fashion brand. Um, or I don't really, I, I do like summer pairs for people, but I typically don't like take on a big sewing project unless it's for like a performer and they want like a very specific like collection of garments or something um, just because it is very time consuming. Um, and then photography is a big one. So kind of either creative directing something and um, or photographing itself, usually with film. And I think a lot of the work that I have done for other people, it's usually film photographs um, just because they tend to have a certain aesthetic that aligns with that. So that works out really lovely. Um, and luckily I worked with really incredible people and brands and companies that do give me a lot of uh, freedom and liberty. So it's really lovely to kind of like take it into my own hands and um, also have like creative control most of the time. Love that. With, um, I, I guess, so I, when I went to the website, I saw your garments. It, it, am I right that almost everything is uh, like a one-off or it's it's not a traditional, like you're going to get size for me, 3230 and you're going to get duplicates of it. No, no, no. So, uh, so this is, these are all almost, <laughs> you know, made to order or is it a line and there's one, one of each? Um, and you announce it and people have to move quickly. Oh, could you repeat that again? There's a lot of breaking up happening. Of course. So, uh, when looking at your, your garments and that specifically, is there like a single launch day and there's one piece of each? Are you running multiple size runs? Uh, How does the garment creation and then selling garments work for you? I'm going to answer that to the best of my ability. There's still a little bit that was breaking up. Um, But I, so I typically, what it is now is that um, before the pandemic, I was kind of creating like a more traditional scale. So I would have a garment and it would be available um, in several different sizes and people could request those sizes and those colors. And like post pandemic, kind of going back into the more conceptual aspect of what I'm doing. I'm creating garments specifically for me to perform in for the camera, for mm. whatever short film or movement piece I'm making. And I might sell some of those garments, but I'm not like replicating any of them. Um, there's actually, from the last collection, there might've been like a handful of garments that I was replicating, but they're also very, uh, just like kind of loud and obnoxious and like not a typical garment. So it's just kind of like a fun art piece that mm. maybe you could, toss onto your body yeah um, it, it, there sort of yeah. is a runway energy when i when i look at some of the pieces on your website yeah exactly they're not functional at all they're just really fun to play dress up in yeah it seems it seems it seems magical and you know like uh and i mean only love but like that there was like a crazy kanye west fashion show thing where like it's like the jackets look like I don't know what they look like and and it, the energy <laughs> yeah. was big and people loved it and it and it you know was viral and whether or not anyone walks around in New York wearing those jackets or <laughs> hoodies I I don't know yeah. but I would love it, to see that <laughs> right but eyeballs it got eyeballs and so 
um, there's there seemed to be something like it seemed like you might have been walking that line in in the garments that you've created, whether they're for dance, which uh, I have some friends who have dance performances and I, I can imagine them in, in a dance performance versus, you know, oh, let me run to Whole Foods real quick <laughs> and put on yeah. this, you know, the tank top that you have. I don't know if how many people yeah. are going to do that. <laughs> I definitely have um, brought some of these garments into like real life situations and um, didn't, it wasn't like an elaborate photo shoot. I just like brought my phone and like had a friend dress up and I think they were wearing either the tube top or like the tube, like poom poom pants, mm-hmm. but we just went to the laundromat and just like danced around there. I'm like, yeah, well, this is the outfit that we're going to the laundromat in. Is, yeah. And I, I mean, really everything fun. else is needs to get washed. And so I'm wearing yeah. my high, high fashion today. I think that's awesome. Um, <laughs> Very, very cool. Very special with, um, with creative direction. Um, um, what, what are, do you seek brands out? Do they reach out to you? Um, how how does that typically work for you? Um, so sometimes there's definitely brands that reach out to me. Um, and it kind of goes more in the direction of, they see like self portraits Mm. of myself, um, wearing, it's often like something wearable, um wearing another brand and they notice they're like oh this isn't like your designs um and that's something else that I do is like I kind of just create self-portraits for other brands um and there's also the way that I definitely get a lot of other work is through modeling and oftentimes when I model they're like oh you design clothing oh you photograph I'm like, yeah, I do and then that's how I get a lot of work. I got, I <laughs> got the slashes. You might have heard Range Urgent Care on our podcast. Husband and wife team lives right here in Asheville, building a better urgent care model. What are they doing? They're making scheduling seamless and straightforward and honest when they say they'll see you at 4 p.m. You'll be seen at 4 p.m. They make pricing straightforward as well. 149 a visit or less if you subscribe to an annual subscription, which I do. It costs me $30 a month, and I love the peace of mind. But not just that. You don't just get to go in person. You can do virtual visits uh, over your computer or over your phone, and they'll even come to you. They'll do home visits. And to me, I mean, it seems like a absolute no-brainer. You can bring they have family plans. They have business plans. To me, it's a peace of mind thing. It, it makes me feel confident and comfortable knowing that I can see range uh, in my subscription a number of times a year and it's built into my my plan. I will not be surprised by a crazy cost and it is covered by most major insurance policies. So if you haven't heard of Range Urgent Care, I welcome you to check out that episode with the power couple that runs it. You can check out makingitinashville.com forward slash range making it in com forward slash range to read more about these subscription options and get links to the range website using our link or using our discount code of making it in Asheville will get you a free month in an annual subscription. Again, range urgent care. You can say that we sent you or visit making it in com forward slash range. Got it. So yeah, it, exactly. it, 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 it is, it's a, it's a kind of a, you call that in 
some businesses call that a flywheel or, or some sort of viral coefficient where the more you take photos of yourself, the more people want you to be their model, the more you model things, the more people want you to creative direct, the more you creative direct, the more photos you get to take. And then it continues and it goes. And now you have performances in the audience. Love it. Um, that right? Did you say that a flywheel flywheel? Amazing. Yeah, that's why one of the ways people talk about it, um, and and it it makes sense. And so, uh, having creation also be uh, where discovery happens, right? So that, that makes to me as I as I look at your story and the, all the ways that you show up as a as an artist and creator, it seems like it's always a good idea to press publish. Or whatever version publishes, whether it's make the garment, say it's done, uh, finish the video, put it out in the world. Uh, do you struggle with performances, pushing send, uh, publishing a post? Like, are are there still jitters? Can you that again? Do I do I struggle with performances? Yeah, well, or or not maybe not performances, but do you being a lifelong creator? Do you still have any kind of anxiety about publishing an Instagram post, writing a caption, producing any art that you produce? Um, sharing any art that I produce? Mm -hmm. Is there nerves? Anxiety? Um, hmm. I guess it kind of depends on the context. Are you asking if my anxiety comes out based on like the idea of like, oh, this is going to exist on the internet forever? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. I think um, oftentimes when I share anything, I'm really excited about it. So I'm just like, like, yeah, let's share it. Let's put it out there. But I'm also really hard on myself. So I know a week later, I'll be like, why did I put that out there? <laughs> you know, but I think it's a healthy process, you know, to be able to um, critique your work and also move on from it. And I think that there's a process of just like letting everything come out, mm. um, like purging the good and the bad and like the in-between so I've, I don't know, it's the internet. There's so much information out there, I feel like. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's, uh, that's part of the reason why I ask, because it's, um, you know, we, we talked about how your world and, and um, it, it is perfectly designed so that creating a thing makes it more likely that someone will want you to participate in their thing and create a thing with them or show up and support you as you create your next thing. And so publishing and and sending art into the universe into this already overcrowded no one actually is going to care universe is a worthwhile thing to do and it seems like you are a superhero and very very good at pushing it out and so i was wondering if you still have second guess you know second guess yourself or a week later to your point say what was i thinking uh that's not that good but yeah. it, it seems like you're you have a very healthy approach to it. Yeah, I think I'm definitely very like forgiving when it comes to those thoughts, um, because even though I can kind of um, maybe have like a negative thought about it, like oh, like why did I put that? That was so silly of me, or that's so bad. But oftentimes, I don't know. I think it's really easy for me to move on from that because um, if I'm able to have a thought like that, then to me, that means that I'm growing and mm. I'm like, oh, I needed to release that in order to get to this next point. And um, I will just continue putting more work out there. And who 
whoever comes across it and wants to work with me, that'd be amazing. And like, and it's also really interesting to see like, oh, what, what were you attracted to that I put out there? Like, was it this really weird twisted movement piece or was it this like natural dye, dreamy, sweet, serene piece, you know? Mm. Yeah, I, I, I hear that. And I, I wonder, um, in that, in that kind of, uh, the ability to have a, either a short memory or realize that any second guessing is part of growth. Um, or, so I, I, one of the art forms that I'm kind of fascinated by is like, uh, flowers. I don't know. <laughs> it's something that I'm, I'm like, you're creating this art and it's guaranteed to die. Like it's not, it's not gonna, there's no shelf life. Like it, it they just die and you make these bouquets. And so mm-hmm. knowing that the most of the art that I see you make could live forever digitally at the very least, and whether or mm-hmm. not that like the garments last forever, photos of people in the garments could, um, it, it does, it's, it's a very different energy and it seems like you have to have a short memory to make bouquets because clearly like no one's going to remember the bouquet and maybe, and so, yeah, I mean, just the, the, the way that you exist on the internet and it all living there forever, but there's so much more, uh, you know, creation happening every moment. Uh, I'm, I'm just fascinated by it. Cause I, uh, Sarah and I with making it in Asheville, I'm constantly nervous, depressed, public and i want to like harness some of your energy and just go go for it yeah i mean you should and i think there's a big part i mean yeah i think that um having digital tools is a really great way to archive things but also like we live in this like physical realm you know um and hopefully there aren't like pop-ups in your physical realm reminding you of what you've put out there throughout history so far you know um maybe in the future who knows but, um, yeah, I liked what you said about having a short memory um, because I've talked about this with other creators, but recently a friend was asking me, like, oh, it's so cool that you did this dance piece. Like, do you remember what I'm talking about? I'm like, wait, what dance piece? And they're like, oh, well, you were this this one other person and it was a music video. I'm like, no, what are you talking about? And they're like, oh, well, it seemed really intimate. And then I started guessing and they're like, no, none of those. <laughs> I was like, wow, I don't know what you're talking about. But having that moment and then realizing what they were talking about, I was like, wow, that wasn't that long ago. And somehow I was able to kind of forget that mm-hmm. momentarily, mm-hmm. even though I'm like very like proud of it and still excited about it, um, which means a lot because that doesn't happen with a lot of the work that I put out there. Um, but that's, I think that's also the case for some other artists. Um there's just other makers who make things all the time where people will come up and be like, look at what I'm wearing. And I'm like, cool. And then I'll look and I'm like, oh, I made that cool. <laughs> and I think that happens with a lot of other like designers, I, at least the ones that I've spoken to. I think that's really funny. Um, I don't know what that is, but I, I'm amused by it. Well, I, I'm attempting to create a reason for it. And one of the things that, that shows up as I'm attempting to to de- define why that might be, is that you seem to be very present. It seems that all of the art that you create and the work that you create is about the now. 
And so you can seemingly let go of the past and it doesn't hurt that you're like a prolific creator. And so, you know, at some point you need to make room, it seems, but like, um, if, if you're creating a thing so that you can always point back to that moment and say, look, I made this thing that happened at that moment versus creating a thing so that it exists and then working on the next thing that you create so that it exists and then the next thing so that it exists, it would stand a reason that uh, those two different pursuits would have different like, uh, I don't know, recall <laughs> of what they've created and would not, you know, the person who, who wants to point back in time and say, I did this thing is probably not, probably not creating as much uh, or growing as much because they're still stuck on, you know, the dance piece that they did in 2019. Yeah, that's a really solid point. I don't think I've thought about it so clearly in that way, but I think um, what you said about like making space in your head, I think about that all the time. And I used to get really hard on myself because I was like, Oh no, like I'm getting older. Like my memory's getting worse. What multivitamins can I take for this? You know, <laughs> ginkgo and, biloba. Like, I heard ginkgo biloba. Does that still a thing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it must be. <laughs> But um, I think I actually <laughs> I did end up buying that herb at one point. I'm like, I'm going to drink this tea every day. <laughs> um, but um, I think that's just a skill that people kind of um, harness to be able to make space um, to concentrate on something else. And I think once I'm done with something, I'm like, all right, moving on. Like, it's kind of like a language, you know, or any kind of knowledge you're obtaining. Like, if you don't use it or need it. Um, on a daily basis, then it kind of goes away or it's just stored very, very far into our memory. I, I think that you're dead on. I, I also think that I'm going to, I think that what I see in the art that you create is that there's a, there's a performance that happens and now that project is done. There is a, you know, a photo shoot that happens. The, the images that are the final images exist now that project is done versus like a garden in the back where it's like, that is all it always needs to be maintained. You can't let the garden go. Like there's no, Oh, but this Saturday is the Saturday where my garden is. Everyone's got to come look this Saturday, you know, a, a single plant might bloom, but like it is not the garden doesn't have like a recital that makes it complete. And, and perhaps that's part of it. Like, you know, if you're, if you're, one of the ways they say, like, if you're having trouble falling asleep, take the thoughts that you're thinking and write them down, get them out of your head. And then oh, maybe God. if, you know, right, it frees you up. Yeah. And, and so I'm thinking there might be something like that in your art as well, where it's like, no, but I finished it. And so I got, I, I was allowed <laughs> to release it from my brain. Of course. Yeah. Or at least even um, kind of create a container for it of like, mm. I finished part one. Now I'm working on part two. Um, and that's what I'm finding with this project for this year. It's not even this year. Um, I decided that I wanted to take more time with it. And um, it's definitely a bigger project. So I'm not going to release it until spring, summer of next year. But um, because of that, oh, I decided that too, because I was like, oh, wow, this is the first time that I've, I'm working on a project that um, is kind of originating from the previous one. And oftentimes it is what you were describing. It's like, okay, I'm done with this project, move on to the next one. And I think because this is a continuation, it's taking a lot more like energy and thoughts into it that are a lot of problem solving, um, which is really great and um, puzzle making. 
I love it. Are you are you open to sharing some bit of this project? What what, what is the idea? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll give you the title of it. Sure. Um, and yeah, I think that there's oftentimes I write a lot as well, and that's very like usually pretty personal. It's not something I share, but um, how to turn poison into a meal kind of came from this like excerpt that I wrote two years ago now. Um, and that kind of makes sense. Um, and then this new project is called just add water. Mm. Um, and that's something that my grandma would say in Spanish and the translation of it is, um, it's simple. Just give it a little bit of water. And there's Mm. a lot of, um, the connotations to that of like, yeah, you just need to hydrate or like, it's such a simple thing to do. Um, and obviously the instructions in English, when you hear just add water, it's like this out of like instant. Um, like, <laughs> so I think it kind of goes about, um, or the project has a lot to do with like, um, I don't know, harnessing something that comes with ease, mm. which is kind of the opposite of what the last project was, you know, mm. turning poison into a meal. I love it. And and the, the timeline on this is also special. I um, I used to have a, uh, what I would say a difficulty or I used to have perhaps fear. I, I, I would say I would make it a bigger thing, um, in planning in thinking about more than like what, what's for dinner tonight. Uh, if you wanted to, to have me commit to something in the fall, I would say, I don't know what's happening in the fall. I can't commit. You know, and um, and now I'm, you know, married, and we're we're planning for, you know, a lifetime, and it's and the project scope and length of a lifetime is like terrifying to me. The idea of trying to have a project where it's going to conclude or uh, culminate or or have some sort of performance in 2022, also like it's it's new. I'm like, okay, maybe I think I could probably do that. Has that been weird? Is the timeline of this just add water uh, feel different to you? I mean, the timeline feels different to me because I'm so used to releasing something every fall winter. Mm. Like I've been doing that since like 2015-ish. And then honestly, a big part of it was like, wow, I can't believe I'm just going to skip a season and like not put anything out but i'm also in the back of my head i'm like that's not true you're gonna release something else it's just not going to be just that water yeah um but um yeah the planning around it i think i don't i i think that obviously the pandemic has a, had a lot like a huge impact in the way that people plan things out and execute projects um but i think that i haven't really hesitated around that because I don't necessarily need to do things in public to release a project, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I mean, obviously I definitely do things for myself. So like the purpose of me releasing something is to like have that idea of like completion and putting it out there. Um, And yeah, I think that having a lot of time, it's all, there's like this big uh, learning process that happens with every project. And oftentimes I get kind of like, flustered or just like anxious to like release something because like I'm just like over it I'm like I'm already thinking about the next like season collection I just want to be done with this one and I don't want to feel that way all the time 
Um, so I think that's a personal challenge of mine to kind of take a little more time to space things out and to not, um, and to like take more pleasure in like all of the steps instead of needing to execute them in such a manner just to get them out of the way. Cause I don't want to necessarily carry myself in a way to get anything out of the way. Heard. I think that there is uh, a level of mastery in what you've just discussed is honoring each step in the process is something that uh, completionists don't always do. And I think that there's a, there's something really powerful in, in allowing a process to take the time it needs to be the process. Absolutely. I mean, I don't always allow it to do so, but that's what I'm working towards. <laughs> yeah. Dang. When, um, all right. So, I mean, that was, I think it points towards the question that I typically ask, which is when thinking about 2021, um, what are you thinking about? It seems like just add water. Oh, one of the things I was thinking about with just add water is a, a friend of mine gave me a notebook once and the cover of the notebook said um, something to the effect of uh, wa water is the solution, salt, salt water. Mm, maybe it's a little, little different. Salt water is, is the solution for everything. Uh, time by the sea, sweat or tears, uh, like, fi oh. you know, fixes everything. And I was like, oh my yes. God. And so I've just so saved true. I just saved that, uh, the cover of that notebook forever. I still have it. Um, and so just add water to me is mirrors that energy in my, in, where I'll store it in my brain. Just add water. If I can choose a certain type of water, it would definitely be salt water over any other kind. I love the ocean and crying. Just kidding. I don't <laughs> love crying, but I mean, there's a good release in it. <laughs> there's a good release. And so is the same with sweat. Um, exactly. Powerful. So yeah, I do love sweating. That's amazing. It's a very <laughs> special thing. So 2021, uh, what, what are you, what are you thinking about? What's coming up? I know that we have a longer timeline and just add water. Um, anything mm -hmm. else standing out for you? When you ask for what's standing out, do you mean project wise or just thoughts in general? All, all of it. Yeah. Okay. All of it. Um, so general thoughts, I think this has been coming up a lot for me and I've been thinking about spoon theory a lot. Um, do you know? About I don't know that? if I know spoon theory. I don't, I don't know many theories for what that's worth. Mm -hmm. It just, um, basically means that you have a certain number of spoons and choosing where to allocate them for a certain amount of time, not physical spoons, like metaphorical spoons, but, um, if you think about, um, let's say I'm generally very organized in, um, my work and what I do and like visually as well. Um, and if I put all of my spoons of organization into my work, then maybe my personal life suffers. Mm -hmm. So my room might be messy. My kitchen might be messy. Um, that generally I can feel like pretty balanced, but, um, yeah, I've just been thinking about like, we all have. A, just a certain amount of energy for any skill and like where are we choosing to put that energy, mm. you know, um, and trying to like find balance within that. I love um, it. Spoon theory. Yeah. Spoon theory. Yeah. And I, then I, I would imagine it had something to do with cuddling, but, uh, yeah, it, maybe it could. <laughs> <though. laughs> Why not? Like big spoon, little spoon. It's, it's a theory that yeah. I, I, you know, <laughs> Out there for big spoon, little spoon, and like what the dynamic is there. <laughs> it, but it's a spoon allocation. Heard. Um, okay. We will we will link to the foremost theorists in spoon theory 
in the show. Right, I'm no expert. Just Google <laughs> it. <laughs> um, and then for obviously I'm working on this long-term project just at water and it's at a very beginning stage. So I don't have too much to share about that aside from like Dolby garments and mm-hmm. really beautiful landscapes and dancing and videos. Um, but I think I've been thinking about um, just releasing a small collection of photographs this fall, um, winter, um, and kind of bouncing back and forth between whether it should be like this really lighthearted, high fashion kind of energy, or if it should be like more um, of like a self-portraiture series um, that has to do with like the time that you spend gathered at a table after Mm. sharing a meal with somebody. Mm. Mm. what's that (laughs) i love it thanks so the to end most of these conversations we we transition towards Asheville. you mentioned um at the start of the pandemic you were in germany and at least initially the thought was that you were going to go to new york after germany what had you returned to Asheville? Uh, do you expect to stay in Asheville? When you, when, when you think about Asheville, what do you think about? Yeah, I mean, um, I do anticipate myself staying here for some time. I don't know how long, but I like the way that things are going here. And um, I mean, the reason that I, I'm glad that I'm here and ended up here, but at the, I think I had already like put a deposit on an apartment in New York and gave up my place here. And what the reason that I kind of stayed here was because um, before I got back to the States, my old landlord was messaging me and saying like, are you sure you don't want your apartment? Like you can't rent it out. And then I finally was like, actually I do. Um, Cause it felt safer to come back here than to like start over again in New York. In you New know? York in a pandemic. Heard. Yeah. 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 Do, you, do you still have any family in New York? I, I believe that you lived in New York for at least some point. Um, what was that? Uh, do you have family in New York or is yeah. 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 I have family there and friends and a lot of my family's between like New York and Miami and Colombia. Okay. Um, kind of all over the place. And, and how long have you been in Asheville all, all told? Um, I think I've been here for about four years um, on and off, but the last two years have been more consistent. Love it. And the, the question that we ask is uh, word association, stream of consciousness after i say it asheville community what happens in your brain what do you think oh that's funny (laughs) if i'm being completely honest um i just thought of like a bunch of balloons floating but (laughs) i don't know what that even means who says maybe maybe i did the hand thing and you're yeah i was like oh balloons (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which is Perfect. And now uh, with a moment of reflection, uh, the two words, the energy of community is um, in our pre-interview, you mentioned like an artist community in Asheville is a, is a powerful thing. What, what does it feel like when you think of Asheville and community? Um, Asheville and community in general or the creative community are you asking about? Either and both. Okay. Um when I think about community in general, I think that I've definitely, um, well, I definitely believe in like kind of curating your own community um, wherever you are. And um, 
I think that feels very good to me where I'm at right now and have found um, just like a lot of support in that way. And creatively, um, I think that there is definitely a different energy here than I have witnessed in other cities. Um, and that is kind of the ener- like, how do I describe it? Um, there's definitely the energy of community over competition. Mm. And I think when I first moved here, that um, kind of threw me off a bit um, in a really great way. I was just surprised because whenever I was like, oh, I'm kind of looking for this. So this is what I do. A lot of people are like, oh, let me connect you to this person. Or like, I don't know. I, I don't know anything about that, but I know a person who knows everything about that. Like, mm. um, So I feel like people definitely are, They it, it seems like people want you to thrive generally like within the creative community and um something that i talk to lydia c a photographer about all the time is um just the fact that there's enough for everybody and that thought might not necessarily like i know everybody doesn't believe that but i think that that is part of the reason that i feel community over a sense of competition here because there is enough for everybody um, and sharing resources. There's plenty of that. Mm. Um, I'm really appreciative of that. I, I feel that in a very deep way. And I think um, even in communities where you could say, and I'm using quotes, but like objectively there's not enough. There seems like when push comes to shove, there's always, there is, there is. And like, communities can take care of each other and like figure out a way. And I think that you, you've pointed to something special where, you know, in our short time here, we've been connected to so many people and have, uh, been wowed by the willingness of this community to collaborate with one another. Um, and we do a weird thing, which is record people's voices. <laughs> you know, like we're not uh, your traditional woodworker or clay thrower or, um, you know, artist that you think of when you think of Asheville. Um, but I, I've I've seen that uh, willingness to collaborate as well. Yeah. And I think that's amazing, though. I mean, it's all part of the process, too. You know, you're definitely still an artist in your own right. <laughs> oh, I, I appreciate that. We We love to spend time with artists because they're um there's something really special and i i I like to think that we are uh artistic and have our own kind of craft in, in in some way but it um when i see a garment get created when i see uh photographs that had intention and thought and design i'm like i just you know, I forgot to bring the clamp for this microphone. I've been holding it. So like, I don't know, I don't know how much of an artist I feel like right now, but, um, hanging out with artists is, is as close as I can get sometimes. And I love it. Yeah. It's amazing. I think what you and Sarah are doing is really incredible. And very much appreciated. Oh my goodness. That means a lot. So thank you. Um, and I want to now reflect that back to you and say, uh, we support you. We want to, uh, to scream your art and creations from the rooftop. Uh, when we point people to your uh, story, to your web presences, social, where might we send people? Yeah. Um, so website is casa de coco dot space. 
and then Instagram is um, underscore Casa de Coco underscore. Wonderful. And we will have links to all of that in the show notes page on our website. We will post about it on social. We'll have links everywhere you can uh, find them. Thank you so much, Coco, for the time today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me.